Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody jj cooper carlos Colaza here another baseball america playoff podcast we are rolling on as the series heads to atlanta tied 1-1 two games in let's just be honest we're still waiting for our first really compelling world series game yes. we've had two games that carlos they've They've been largely kind of the last few innings have been the playing out the string additions of game one and game two. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. I guess at least the series itself is compelling. Obviously, uh, a split in Houston and going back to Atlanta tied 1-1 is better uh, for a competitive series. But yeah, the games themselves have, they've felt like they've been kind of determined in the first four or five innings almost. Obviously, with both these offenses, you can never really count anyone out, but Last night was another one where uh, it was a little bit interesting in the first few innings. I mean, even the offense that Houston got rolling against Max Freed, I thought in the first inning, Max Freed looked like he was about to get rocked well and good throughout his outing. Um, in, in the inning where, the, where Houston actually scored most of their runs, it was not a lot of hard contact. It was a lot of just poor Babbitt luck, and I really thought he settled in after that. Um, but again, a really good uh, performance on the mound from Jose Arquiti. Uh, and it was pretty much done by the fifth inning. So you call that poor Babbitt luck. I, there were, I, I will, to be I fair, will there, were, there, there was also, yeah, I don't want to disc, I don't want to just avoid talking about the fact that the Braves defense was pretty bad last night. <laughs> and I know you have more to say on this and, and just shifting. I know you want to talk about that. So I'll let you get into it, but I mean, Dansby Swanson has looked pretty poor so far this world series, um, obviously with, with his bat, you really want him to just be lights out defensively. Uh, but they had a few really awkward plays last night. Uh, but I'll let you kind of talk about the shift. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously the Braves and Houston, two of the better infield defenses in baseball and for Atlanta, this really started when, when they began shifting at a much higher rate, kind of in the middle of the year. Well, I will say Freddie Freeman's looked great defensively. Like Freddie Freeman has shown has been a perfect example of where a first baseman who really is an asset defensively can help you. I, there have been multiple plays already this series where I go, Whoa, that's, that's not an easy play. There was the one where from game one, where I remember he was, I think at the bag to hold the runner. Then the ball was hit to his right. And he literally had to go back. Like he was, 
going back to get it and snagged it and then makes the play and you go, okay, that's just not, that's an athletic play. That's not yeah. one that Kyle Schwarber's not making that play. I'll, I'll put it that way. But obviously last night and Yuli Gurriel hit a ball that was hit to a vacant second base that did kind of help set off the second inning. And I don't have a problem with what John Smoltz had a very good point before that, which is there are two strikes. I don't know if you shift Yuli Gurriel with two strikes here. I'm all on board with that. Like if you want to say that that shift at that moment against a really good contact hitter who uses the whole field, you would be better off playing straight up there. Sign me up. Completely agree. But as is want to do, there was after that, there was a lot of the Braves have screwed themselves because they're doing this stupid shifting, which set me off to then I spent most of the last four innings of that game that was not all that compelling writing about this, which is this. I'll just put it this way. We see a lot of things. Baseball, baseball has constantly changed over the last 150 years. I mean, when you say constantly, you go back to the 1880s, 1890s, it's like, oh, this year we're going to have different how many balls versus strikes. This year we're coming out with this new thing of you can no longer request where the pitch is located, you know, all these. But even if you go back 60 years, you would probably have people railing about these newfangled sliders and why are they throwing these sliders you know, the game changes and there's a resistance to that change. And so what I wrote about for today, check it out at baseballamerican.com, is I'm not going into the data. I've done that at times. I love studying one knee catching. Does it lead to more wild pitches and pass balls, caught, you know, stolen bases, even if you grant that maybe it helps with pitch framing. And you could make the argument that even if it did, it would still be beneficial if it really helps you steal more strikes but the thing we found is is no if you studied it when we studied it we couldn't find a real difference between how many pass balls and wild pitches are allowed by the prevalence now of one knee catching and there's a simple big picture thing of that which is if that was causing a lot more wild pitches and pass balls as a league you would see a lot more wild pitches and pass balls because there's a lot of one knee catching now set up where you put one knee on the ground and there's not I just, today, I'm just throwing it out from a simple logic standpoint. And we can talk about shifting. We can talk about de-emphasizing starters going through, a, you know, pitching seven, eight innings. We can talk about one knee catching. We can talk about the prevalence of hitters trying to hit home runs and more strikeouts and whatever you want to talk about with that. And the thing I simply would say, and I'll throw this to you, Carlos, for your thoughts, which is, to believe that these things are actively detrimental to MLB teams winning baseball games requires the logical jump to say that these MLB teams who have massive front offices at this point, massive R&D departments, massive numbers of assistant GMs, analysts, scouts, coaches, that like let's take one knee catching for example that all of these people 
for all of these teams, or let's take shifting, which is really spread over the last 10 years, that they would run counter to conventional wisdom, conventional teaching with one knee shift catching, that they would go to all your catchers, all your major league catchers and say, hey guys, we're going to learn a new setup for how you set up for each pitch. That's going to be different than the one you've used since you were eight. And they're all going to do that. And everyone's going to buy in and everyone's going to do that, Mm -hmm. even though it is going to cost them games. And I just can't go there that I think that these teams are irrational actors (laughs) that all these different MLB teams are doing things stupidly or they're they've collectively hallucinated to determine to do these things against the grain because they're stupid and it's not going to help them win games i'm going to go with that these teams have all studied this and have determined that these new ways that they are doing these things the fact that it is spread so wide tells you these things are effective am i illogical to think that Carlos. no i don't think so at all i mean i'm i'm not the person that's going to come on this podcast and and feel confident challenging the uh the consensus wisdom of major league teams like you said there are a lot of really smart people people who know much more about all of this and have looked into the details of all the numbers and uh and have figured out how to best position players and i mean you can see like you said you can see the numbers kind of bear itself out with all of these shifts i think probably what what you're kind of arguing against here, JJ, or or just reacting to is just, I I do think there's a tendency for people to miss the cognitive biases that will show up when you're watching these games. It's very easy to just kind of forget about all the plays that shifts save and and the one play that you see where, oh, if you weren't shifted, you would have had a better chance that that one just sticks in your mind a little bit more than all of the, the plays that the shifts help you with, I think. So people can latch onto that. And I do think there's just a general tendency on social media and on Twitter, especially for those maybe extreme voices and opinions to just get uh, exaggerated, maybe more than probably people in the community hold those opinions. So when people do kind of start talking about the shift and how it's not working, I just think their voices probably are, are a little bit louder than actually they represent in the community um but it it is tough i mean it's it's tough to kind of notice the biases that you have going on in your mind in real time um so at the end of the day i think i think you're right you just have to trust the data and i think collectively just trust uh the industry i i'm not the person here that's uh that's going to be challenging all these notions and and laying out what is accurate i think it's pretty pretty safe to just trust what these teams are doing and, and realize it's probably um, putting themselves in a best position to win. The thing about that to me is, is we see also there are new ideas are tried every year in baseball. There was not that many years ago that the Rockies partly because of need, but partly because of experimentation was like, Hey, let's try a four man rotation. And I will say if that was shown to be beneficial it would have spread. Teams would be doing exactly what you would see. It would be common now. People would be doing it all the time for whatever reason. And, and let me also say, this does not mean that groupthink is always the way to go. It is useful 
to approach this in a way where you say, is there advantage to be gained by doing something different? It is useful when it, Carlos and I both, Carlos covers the draft a lot more than I do, but we both cover the draft. It is useful in the draft where there is an, where each team gets a pick every round. If you can figure out a way to do something different than groupthink that is successful, there's a benefit to that because you are going to be able to select from a pool of players potentially that other people are undervaluing. If everyone in baseball, you go back 10 years and there was this understandable push of, wow, we really realized that we studied this and college middle infielders, college bats at the top of the draft really pay off. And it's true, but there's, you can also have things that shift because of that, which is okay. If every team adopts that approach, it's no longer going to be true. The, yeah. The trend in college, just college hitters and college players in the draft in general just continues to go up. So you, you could definitely make the case that with, with every team kind of more, more heavily buying into this demographic. Now we want to kind of pivot um, and tap into maybe a high school demographic that is a little bit riskier, but the, the high reward could maybe pay off in a way. Well, yeah, it, it basically by studying it, you know, <laughs> this is it, by, by the mere act of measuring it and then re- reacting to that measurement, hmm. we are changing the course of what will happen going forward. Because if everyone says, oh, this is the safest demographic, so we're going to draft this. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden, a second round talent has become a first round talent. Exactly. And maybe someone else who was really a first round talent has become a second. Well, zagging where everyone else zigged, mm-hmm. there could be some benefit to that. But yep. when you see the widespread adoption of something, I, again, I know that I'm hitting on something that's not all that controversial. There's not that many people who study this who go, oh, shifting is beneficial. But the World Series is something where we obviously have a lot of people watching baseball who aren't watching every day. And I, I want to throw this one to you, JJ. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about this. I saw this um, this point raised, and, and I'd never really seen it, and I don't know that I buy too much into it, but I'm curious what you think. So, someone made the comment, in my feed at least, that shifting in a seven-game series maybe is less impactful than sh- the benefits you get over shifting over the course of a season. Do you have any immediate thoughts on that? I don't know why shifting in one series would have less benefits. I, I think even if hitters are going to be more reactive to the shift and change their approach more dramatically than they would in the regular season, I think that's a win for the shifting team. You, you want hitters to not play to their strengths and if they're going to try and hit the ball the other way and sacrifice power or or just their best offensive approach because you're shifting i think you still take that don't you see okay i don't know because i'm 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 wishy-washy because that's something i feel like i would need to study to really Mm -hmm. understand but but here's the thing that when we talk about you talked about cognitive biases there's the choice you know, selective bias. Like you, you, you focus on the things that support what you want to believe. I started and I did not have time last night. I may still do this, but I started to go through. We have access to tools because of our stats contract and all where we can see where every batter was set up on every ground ball hit in a game. And then you can see where they positioned all that. And so I started to go through game one and game two. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I chart like 
how many of these balls were hit into the shift and the shift helped get outs versus how many were hit against the shift and led to hits that would have been outs if they had been traditionally positioned. And I didn't go far in it. I, I don't want to say, but, but I did like two innings of game one. And in those two innings, like in the ninth inning of game one, we talk about the Astros having good hitters and you started in the ninth inning. <laughs> yeah, I went backwards because that's what was okay. at the top of the play by play. When I started at the ninth inning, but it was useful because there's three ground balls that turned into outs for the Astros in the ninth inning. All three balls were hit into the teeth of the shift. Now, I'm not going to tell you, like there was a ball hit to Dansby Swanson's right, deep in the hole. Because Ozzie Albies had been shifted to the left side of second base, Swanson was playing much further over. I can't tell you that there was no chance that Swanson goes into the hole makes that play and still makes the out, even if he's set up traditionally. Maybe he's still shifted a little bit that way, even if Albies is standing at second base mm -hmm. because right-handed hitter up, more pull heavy, all that. But I can tell you that it was hit there and he was positioned perfectly. Left-handed hitter up, they bring Swanson over to the right side of second base. Freeman's holding a runner at first. The ball's hit to Freeman's right. I can't tell you that there's no chance that Freeman, who's really good defensively, gets to that ball. But I can tell you that Ozzie Albies was playing, shifted over significantly, and it was hit right basically to make it an easy play to him. That happened three times in that one inning. I went back to the inning before that. There's obviously a ball where Albies is basically positioned, stand basically behind second base, the ball's hit right to him. I can say confidently that's a play that you hit into the shift, but if you weren't, if you wasn't there, that's that 5.5 hole that, that, that Tony Gwynn spot that basically used to be an automatic hit anytime you hit it. I would love to, if I had time, and I don't know if I do, to go <laughs> back and look at every play yeah. of these World Series so far. But I think what we would find is there aren't a whole lot of balls where I, I can come up with two off the top of my head, the Yuri Gurriel ball. And then there was the ball where Ryan Stanek basically um, chased it and couldn't get to it and was grabbing for it and all that. Those were two that were hit that absolutely went against the shift and were beneficial. But I, I don't even know. I, I don't know. have an answer to that. I don't know mm -hmm. that teams are even trying to like Jose Altuve they made a point of mentioning on the broadcast. Jose Altuve is much more of a pull hitter now than he was before. He's not using the opposite field as much. That said, he's hitting home runs yeah. to the pull side. He did. In that park, I don't, I don't know any, any reason why you wouldn't want to try and pull if you're right. a right-handed hitter. So, you know, it's, it's a fun topic to think about. Yeah. So, now, so what it – just kind of looking forward into this series, I guess, since we really haven't talked well, about hold much on. this. We're, we're this... going to get there. We're going to get to the next part. But before we do that, we got a quick break we want to talk before we go to talk about looking ahead to game three. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. So we didn't analyze a lot of game two, Carlos, because there's not a lot to analyze. <laughs> but there is a lot to analyze as we preview looking ahead. The series now off day, and then it comes to Atlanta for games three, four, and five, tied 1-1. Yep. Luis Garcia, Ian Anderson on the bump for game three at this point. It's been very hit or miss for Luis Garcia. Ian Anderson has been pretty good, but I guess just kind of – Looking at this series in in the bigger picture, what are some of the, the the elements you're looking at that maybe will be X factors? Is there any concerns you have for either team? Do you favor any team at this point just based on how they're set up? Uh, the Charlie Morton injury is probably the biggest um, difference in how the Braves look on paper after his injury. Um, so I guess just what, what are you feeling about this series right now? And, and do you feel like there's an obvious favorite at this point, if, if you ever had one? I don't think there's an obvious favorite yet because I mean, but you, I do think the big question right now is what are games four and five going to look like? I, I, I'll dive into a little bit, but I'll throw it to you first, Los. Assuming that the, let's say it's after game four, it's two to two, right? The Braves have, Game four may be bullpen game versus bullpen game in some ways, right? Like we don't, it it looks like that's what we're going to be facing. Well, if that's the case, if you're the Braves, I don't think there's been talk about bringing Max Freed back on short rest for game five. That's illogical to me for the simple fact that if you did that, for one, Freed hasn't been at his sharpest. So I don't know Mm -hmm. why you'd want to do that. But for two, if you did that, doesn't that just mean that all of a sudden, so free goes game five, Ian Anderson would go game six, and then game seven of the World Series would be bullpen game? Bullpen game, yeah. No, I think it, it. the next game, I think you really just want your starter to give you innings. 
you need to be set up as as best as you possibly can be for these these stretch games in the series, the four, five, six games in the series. It's going to be tough to for both of these teams, I imagine. I mean, both these rotations have been thinned out uh, with injuries, with just a lot of a lot of time on the mound. That you, you really, I don't know how you're going to expect these guys to handle workloads as your your rotations and your bullpens have been a little bit thinned out. Two of the more interesting arms for me, at least on Atlanta side, are are Kyle Wright and Tucker Davidson. Uh, Tucker was obviously brought up uh, to replace Charlie Morton after the injury. He's a guy who who dealt with injury this year. He had a forearm strain. He threw just 43 innings between the majors and AAA. And then Kyle Wright, who was one of the leaders in minor league minor league innings this year, spent most of his time in AAA and had a good season there, um, but has always been a guy where, where the gap between his performance in AAA and the majors has just been massive. Um, his awesome. walk rate... His walk rate goes through the roof, and I don't know if it's a question of just not trusting his stuff or, or feeling the need to nibble too much because big league hitters get on his fastball a little bit more easily than they do in AAA, but he looked really good in one, one inning last night. He was just fastball, curveball. It seems like the Braves have really put an emphasis on throwing that curveball with more intent this year. And and I don't know if I was reading into it too much. I was just kind of looking through Savant and and – and the, the pitch movement and pitch velocity characteristics, but the pitch was a couple miles per hour harder than his previous average with the curveball. So again, could just be reading into it too much. It's six curveballs in the, in the postseason, So it wouldn't be a surprise at all if he was just amped up, but I do think Cal Wright and Tucker Davidson could be potential X factors for the Braves. Cause they're both pitchers who have been stretched out. They're being developed as starters. Obviously they're going to be used in, in various roles this postseason, but I, I do think they are guys who have enough upside that if, if Kyle Wright came out and threw five or six innings and was lights out, would it shock you? It might surprise you, but I, but I think he has the pedigree and the stuff and he's shown flashes at times that maybe you can have a little bit of confidence or at least a little bit of hope. Um, so those two are guys that I'm, I'm really curious to see how, how they're used and how they kind of step into this moment. This to me also, you just hit on something that that is interesting to me, which is the Braves have done an excellent job of pitching development. If you look at their 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 rotation is Max Fried, who they acquired, yeah, who was not their draftee, but acquired early in his high his his pro career, high school first round pick, and he developed with them into a front of the rotation starter. They have Mike Soroka; he's hurt as he was hurt last year. Again, same he was a high school first round draftee of theirs. High school drafty turned into a really good starter. Ian Anderson checked the same box. They are a team that has developed homegrown players, and then they added Charlie Morton to that. But this also is an example. You just mentioned Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright. We could throw Tuki Toussaint. We could throw Kyle Muller into this. We could throw Bryce Wilson into this. Yep. This is a Braves team who has had a lot of elite pitching prospects. And it is useful to note that if just one more of those pitchers had turned into a rotation anchor, this situation we're talking about would not be the situation we're talking about. If Kyle Wright, who was a top five pick coming out of Vanderbilt, by this point, part of that 2017 draft class that, man, we were really excited about it as a whole, as a, you know, coming out and, Right now, that top five 
it doesn't yeah, have no one you feel really comfortable in at this point. Royce Lewis has been hurt. Hunter Green is in triple A, throws really hard, but has been hurt. Kyle Wright hasn't been as all that effective. Brendan McKay wasn't all that effective, and he's hurt. Um, I'm fit forgetting one who's the Kinsey Gore and then Austin McKins- Beck, Mc- I believe, were the next two. If you want to include a sixth. <laughs> We're, we're not going to go there as far as you know, none <laughs> the of North Carolina have. guys are struggling. <laughs> so, but the point being, if Kyle Wright had had the impact, uh, a quick impact as a fast moving college starter, if Tucker Davidson or Kyle Muller, or we could go through all these guys. If just one of them had become another Ian Anderson or Mike Soroka or Max Freed, then we'd be saying, oh, massive advantage Braves. I'm not doing that to pick on the Braves. The Braves have done a great job of developing. Also, too, if, if you go down that path, you, you you then have to wonder, do the Braves even bother signing Charlie Morton at that point? So everything could be entirely different. So it is it is tough to kind of backtrack and wonder. But to your point, I, I think the biggest point you're making here is that if you are if you are trying to rebuild or, or, or even just invest a lot in arms, just know a lot of these guys are not going to pan out. We consistently see this. You can't bet on a greater than 50% return rate is much less than that. And the rate of the, and the rate of that development, we don't know. Like, I don't, I am not saying Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Muller, you know, Tucker Davidson aren't going to turn out. I say that if you look at where say like a Kyle Muller is right now compared to, and again, I know he's a lefty Lucas Giolito is a righty, but to where, how long it took Lucas Giolito for it all to click or how long it took, going back to high school guys, Homer Bailey, how long I, I, there's a thousand examples we could give of this. There's a lot of guys where it takes your seven, your eight for these pitchers to click. It may be, it just hasn't clicked yet. Okay. On the Astro side, if Forrest Whitley had turned into the fire breathing front of the rotation dragon, that it looked like he was going to be in 2018, 2019, our situation in this would also be very different. It's not a point of, oh, these teams have screwed up. It's just a point of what you said right there, which is the sheer quantity of pitching prospects you need to be comfortable that some of them will turn out is massive. And and even, uh, this is just a very basic point, but even guys like Mike Soroka, who you successfully developed at, at any point, injury, boom, they're, they're just down and out. It's, it's pitching. It could happen to anyone at any point. So if the attrition Charlie rate Morton, for those guys is so tough. Yeah, Charlie just freak Morton, injury on top of just ba- the arm strain. Yeah. Comebacker. Okay. You're done for the you're you're done for the season. That's the and and but this is you're right though. This is a great way to, to wrap this up, which is however, the Braves do have guys here. It is if I remember right, Kyle Wright started against the Marlins in the postseason last year, I should look it up. I'm just doing this off the cuff, but I'm pretty confident. I'll look this up while we're talking. I'll correct myself if I'm wrong before we're done here, but this is not, you're right. When you say it is not outlandish and I, maybe it's Drew Smiley. They're going to go with, but it is not outlandish to think. Yep. Kyle Wright, six scoreless innings against Miami. And then seven runs in two thirds of innings and a start against the Dodgers last year, the NLCS. So yeah, you the saw quality the, of those teams is probably relevant there. <laughs> you saw the yin and the yang of that there. But the, the point being, 
it is not outlandish to think that Kyle Wright could have a start, like an actual like five, four to five inning start for them that was successful. It is also not outlandish to think that Kyle Wright could have a start where he goes out there, he gets pulled in the first inning and you go, oh, that game was over before the, you know, the, the end of the first, yeah. because that's also possible, but they do have options. And it's not, I, I don't want to make it sound like that's a massive advantage for the Astros because the Astros also don't have four starters for this series. Yeah, I really do think that, I mean, both of these teams, their offenses are capable of winning the series. It, for me, who's going to be the World Series champion here is just who can better put together the innings in games four and five. And maybe we even stretch that to three. I mean, who, who can who can either get the most effective outings from their pitching or or patch together uh, enough innings to cover and just give your offense a chance to stay in the game. That's that's really going to be the X factor. And, and which pitchers step up to do that, which starters kind of get extended and really have impressive long outings to make that easier on the rest of the pitching staff is what I'm most interested in watching. But I'm also really excited to see if Jose Altuve is going to kind of settle into that number two all-time for postseason home runs. That's been a fun storyline to watch. Um, for me, anything else that you're looking at either heading into game three of the rest of this series, JJ? I do feel like because this is kind of the matchup of Anderson versus Garcia, I, we're probably focusing. I, I keep saying we're probably focusing too much on the starters in a series where we know that the bullpens are going to pitch half the innings. But that said, this does feel kind of like a fulcrum point. Whoever wins game three all of a sudden game four, which is going to be your bullpen versus my bullpen. It becomes a game that you want to win, but you don't have to. Whereas the team that loses game three is much more, but probably even a little bit more important for the Braves because of what we just talked about. If the Braves win game three, they can look at game four and game five and say bullpen versus bullpen. We've got as much chance as either. And then game five, we may be at a little bit of a disadvantage but if we get that game three win, we've kind of stole one. Then we're, we're we've got that. We're, at worst, we're we're going back to Houston, needing to win two. Not, you know. But at the same time, I I do feel like you you hit on the most important thing, which is whichever one of these teams mashes is probably going to be more important because it's really more the lineups at this point than it is the the rotations. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I hope we get some big moments from from Alex Bregman and Dansby Swanson. I don't know that we've gotten those moments just yet, but it is cool to me that we've got the two top picks in the 2015 draft who who had such impressive college careers, amateur careers, were so highly touted playing in a World Series. I think Sarah Langs on Twitter said it was the the first time that the top two picks in a draft were playing against each other in the World Series, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of fun things to watch in this. Hopefully, again, we mentioned it at the top, but hopefully we get some more close games, maybe some ninth inning nail biters. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, that's what I'm just hoping for. We have not, we have yet to have a really compelling game. I would love to have a, a game where the game is truly in doubt into the late innings, just Absolutely. as a fan of baseball. Maybe yeah. a walk-off, maybe an extra inning. That would be fun. I know JJ I'm, doesn't I'm, like staying up past midnight, but he would for an extra inning game. I, oh, absolutely. Hey, <laughs> credit to game two. Game two moved. Game two moved. I'm a little bit more, I, I'm fresher on this pod than I was yesterday because of that reason. I was able to, I'm old. I was able to get to bed by midnight. So <laughs> I, I, I appreciated that. 
But we'll be back on Monday to wrap up everything that happened over the weekend. Kyle Glazer is not on the pod today because he's traveling to Atlanta to, to cover the series. So he'll be back on next week, later in the week, but I don't think he'll be on Mondays because uh, he'll be traveling back from the series to either Houston or, or back to home for him. But for Carlos, we thank you for the download. For Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Bravo. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.